Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting, again, we welcome you. It's an honor to have you with us tonight. If you would be opening your Bibles to Luke, the 15th chapter, Luke, the 15th chapter, in just a moment, we'll continue a lesson that we've been studying throughout the day here. It is encouraging uh, to talk with individuals as I've run into a few this past week, today, and then even during the week. And uh, them talk about their visiting Mount Juliet. They're from the community, various ones. And they will mention you, uh, some of you by name, and say, well, so-and-so that, that goes there, they invited me and we've really enjoyed visiting. I want to encourage you to continue doing that. It's proven over and over that of all of the, the ways we as a church can reach out, whether it's through media, uh, through the mail, through radio, television, etc., it's proven that there's nothing more powerful than people, the personal contact, people having an interest in the souls of the people that they know, uh, people that they live next to, and etc., and so as neighbors move in around you, I encourage you to go by and get to know them and invite them to come and, and friends that uh, you have and co-workers and etc. Let's do everything we can do to bring people to a right relationship with God. There's no greater work that we can be a part of. As we continue studying tonight, what is oftentimes called the, the greatest story that has ever been told. It's Luke the 15th chapter, and as we look in Luke the 15th chapter, you remember it's Jesus saying, I want to tell you a parable, but then he tells three stories. And in these three stories, he talks about the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son. And we want to concentrate on a portion of that of the lost son tonight as we continue thinking about that far country. If you'd like to read along with me, we'll read 11, 12, and 13, and 14 by way of review, and if you were not here this morning. This was the text for this morning, and then we'll go into 15 in the following three or four verses for tonight. We begin reading in verse 11 where Jesus said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. Where is that far country? We spent a lot of time this morning thinking about where that far country might be. And what we noted especially was the fact was that even though it's a far country, we don't read anywhere about it being a far journey. In other words, that far country could be a lot closer than what maybe we first think. You see, that far country and that short journey begins with me thinking about me as if I'm all that matters. Everything ought to be my way. Life is about me. And that's just not so. When we do that, we waste the possessions God gives us. We waste the life that God gives us. We waste the energy that God gives us. God never made our existence about us. And one of the ways that, of course, would be a waste is to use our life in prodigal or righteous living. And that's especially what this young man did here in this particular story. But another thing that we learn about this far country is we begin reading in verse 14, and that is it's a very costly place to be. When he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Now this was a man that was given, apparently, his entire inheritance. All that was due him from his father, he received it. Could it be that he spent it all? Yes. 
Because that's a costly place to live. In the far country, there's not a continual flow of blessings as it is when we stay at home with God. And so the things that matter most run out very quickly when we're living in that far country. You see, the severe famine, words like death, hunger, starvation, those words come to our mind. That would represent the spiritual famine that we go through whenever we leave God and we travel to that far country. We're void of the will of God. We're void of the blessings of God. And it leaves us in want. He was in a land of want. But he could have been in a land where the psalmist said, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so as we think by way of review of these two points, let us realize that the far country is very close by. And it's a place that costs a lot to stay there. But you know what's interesting is that there does seem to be some people that's always accepting there. In other words, it seems that people can find some level of acceptance in the far country. Now, I believe that's something not only we need to know, but we need to learn how important it is for us to use this to our advantage as we think about reaching out to the lost. You see, tonight, the two points that we'll look at especially have a strong emphasis in evangelism. Look with me, if you will, now, as we read verse 15. Then he went. Now, this is coming right out of the fact that he was in the severe famine. He was in want. He'd spent all that he had. And notice, then he went out and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he, spent, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. You notice the word then? That's pointing to a place in time. Notice the timeline here. Here's an individual that had a lot of inheritance. He was so excited about doing things his way, and he traveled to that far country. Things were fine then. He wasn't looking for anyone to latch on to. When he spent all and the famine come, and later he would describe his situation of being one that was perishing, then he joined himself to a citizen of that country. The word join literally means here to latch on. When is it that people reach out for someone else? You see, he wasn't reaching out for someone to help him. He wasn't reaching out for someone to serve him back when he had everything that he thought he needed. Back when he had his money and he could give his direction in life. But the time came that he felt in great need and dire strait as if he were perishing. And then he reached out. It's interesting to note that he did find a citizen in the country that allowed him to reach out to him. I want to ask you this. If that person were your neighbor, if they were one of your family members or a co-worker, if they were your friend, and they reached that point in their life where everything wasn't working out, they reached a point in their life where they'd had a tremendous loss or a sickness. They'd reached a point in their life where finances were completely upside down. At that time, people naturally reach out. They're looking for someone to help them survive. Would they find a member of the Lord's church that would help them at that time? Or would they need and be forced to rely upon a citizen of the far country?
You know, when individuals are brought to Jesus Christ and they're baptized into Christ and they're added to the Lord's body, one of the very critical points is immediately after that to find out if anyone within the church family is going to open up their network of friendships and allow them to become a part of the church family. Now, I don't know if that sounds foreign to you, or perhaps you say, well, sure, I understand that. But I beg you tonight, if that sounds foreign to you, to learn the truth of what we're speaking about. If you say, I understand that, I beg you, you and I must do that. You know, we get excited when someone is baptized into Christ because we say a soul is saved. But we are, are we excited enough to do what we can do to make sure that they can grow in the church body? that they truly will be nurtured in a family environment. In other words, will we allow people, when they come into our fellowship, will we allow them to latch on to us? It's interesting that this citizen of the world allowed that. But sometimes we don't do a very good job of that. One particular study that was done followed individuals that had been baptized over a year period of time. And what they found out was that individuals that had been baptized and within one year, they were able to have seven relationships within the church family. That's not just people that walk up before or after service and say, Hey, how are you doing today? That's good. We'll see you. They were relationships. They're people that were involved in their life. They intertwined their lives outside of the church building. If they had seven of those, they didn't fall away. This particular study, everyone that had less than seven of those relationships established within the church family within a year, every one of those fell away. The Lord doesn't speak about fellowship because it's not important. He speaks about it because it is so important. We need each other. That's why when we read, like in Romans the 14th chapter, to receive the weaker brother. In other words, when someone's young in the faith, what are we to do? We're to receive them. We're to bring them in our midst. We are to surround them. That's why we're to lift up the weaker that it describes in 1 Thessalonians, the 5th chapter that we studied several weeks ago. It's the idea of bring them into our midst. And so it is. It is so important for us to ask ourselves... Are we willing to do this? I looked through some old files I had because I wanted so much to find an illustration that I had read probably 15 years ago. I couldn't find it. But I want to relate to you the way I remembered it. It really is a sobering thought for me personally to think that we have so much impact on whether or not someone remains faithful or if they don't. A gentleman was baptized into Christ, and as he talked about his plans to some of the members of the church, he spoke about bowling on Wednesday night in his league that he'd been a part of for years. They immediately encouraged him not to do that. We have a wonderful Wednesday night Bible classes, and you need to be among Christians, and you need to study the Word of God. And besides, there they probably drink some, and that's probably not the kind of friends that you might want to be a part of if that's a Wednesday night league. Why don't you come on and be with us? And so he said, you know what, I'm, fa- I'm serious about my Christianity. I want to do that. And he did. He came to church three times a week. But he always felt like he was a blue-collar guy in a white-collar world. Not that everybody there was white-collar, but it was the idea he never was fully accepted. 
Oh, sure, people would come up before and after services and they would greet him, but that was it. No one inquired further about his life, about his growth, about his struggles, about his interests. No one involved their life with his. He did this for several months and finally someone noticed one day that he wasn't there on a Wednesday night. Someone called him on Thursday and asked about it and he said, yeah. He said, listen, I had to go back to where I could find some friends. A guy can only live so long without friends. And those are really friendly people at the bowling alley. Well, they ask about me and about my family. And they ask to get together at other times during the week. I don't understand how you Christians do it. To not have any friends in the world. How would folks describe you? Would they describe you as a person that that's somebody you could never latch on to? They just don't care about people. Oh, they'll speak to you at a worship service, but they really don't care beyond that. In the far country, he found someone he could latch on to out in the world. Wouldn't it be a shame that the world did a better job of this than what you and I do? Let's make sure that that is never true. Let's make sure that we're constantly striving to reach out and to serve others. Especially those that are new and they're young and they're looking for support. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. But secondly tonight, and fourth in this outline, I'd like for you to think about the final fact. That far country, it might be just a little bit easier to exit than what some of us would think. Now I, as we make this point, I want to emphasize, I'm not taking away the importance of a life turned from the world and back to God. That is huge, significant, and of great importance. I'm not minimizing that we, if we have never come to the Lord, that we need as a believer to repent and confess and be baptized. I'm not overlooking the fact that if we've strayed away from God, that we need to repent and we need to come back and confess sins and we need to pray forgiveness as James 5 and 16 teaches for one that's already been baptized into Christ. But I do want you to note this. Really, what did it require of this man to come home? Let's read together and we'll close this with a song of invitation. Look at verse 16. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, an important phrase, when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I'll arise and I'll go to my father and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Friends, really, what does it take to come back? Here we see a young man that it took coming to his senses. You know, I've been in the Father's house and I remember what it's like. I'm out here now and he says, I perish. When we realize that sin has separated us from God, we realize that we are perishing. I ask you, 
If the Lord came right now and you stood before Jesus on the day of judgment, this very moment, would you hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant? Or would you hear, depart from me? If you can honestly say tonight, I would hear, depart from me. I have sin that has separated me from God. I want to ask you, why have you not come home yet? Satan tries to make us believe that it's so complicated. Satan tries to make us believe that it's just too hard. Notice this young man. He realized where he was. I'm perishing. He realized who he was. I'm a sinner. He realized in humility, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Just let me be a servant. And when he made his way back to the Father. We do not read here that the Father saw him coming and he began to yell at him and he began to accuse him and remind him of all the things that he'd done and pointed his finger at him. You see, if that were the story, I'd agree. It's kind of hard to come home. We don't read that the Father looked and saw him a great way off and when he did, he just acted like he didn't see him and he went about his business and would pay him no attention. If we did, I would agree, it's hard to come home. We don't read that the father ran and hid from him and the son could never find him. If so, I'd agree, it's hard to go home. I want you to erase everything Satan has ever told you about going home and I want you to picture this in your mind. The sinner is on his way home. And the father sees him a great way off and runs to him and falls on his neck and kisses him and has great compassion. And he calls for a celebration. The moment is filled with joy and with happiness. Celebration. What's hard about that? I'm not. I'm not trying to sound like a smart aleck about it. I'm just asking, what have we made of it? Why have we made it so hard? Why have you and I heard so many people say, "I tell you what, walking down that aisle is the hardest thing I've ever done." Where does that come from? What kind of theology do we have about a God that's so hard to come to? What kind of doctrine do we have that that makes coming to God so hard? Friends, I beg you tonight to realize, whatever it is, it's not from God. God is the one that shows us the picture of that far country. And it easy it is easy to get in the middle of that far country and make mistakes. But if my heart is right and I have my eyes set on God, coming home is easy. It's real easy. Tonight, if you're ready to come home, I encourage you, don't listen to the things Satan has said about it being so hard. I encourage you in your mind to picture a father that 
that has his arms open. And he can't wait for you to come home. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand.